Hello everyone and welcome back to the Humans of Hope podcast. Today we spoke to Professor Stephen Pratt. He is the Emeritus Professor of Music here at Hope and has been teaching for over 50 years. Stephen spoke about his fascinating career in music so far and what you should be looking out for as a prospective music student. We also got a little insight into the history of Liverpool Hope's creative campus and we really hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation. Hello everyone and welcome to the Humans of Hope podcast. My name is Steve. I am a student recruitment officer at the university. And my name is Melissa and I'm the creative projects officer at our creative campus. And I'm Stephen Pratt. I'm uh, currently Emeritus Professor of Music at Liverpool Hope. Fantastic. So we're going to jump straight into it, Stephen. Um, obviously begin with music. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you've been teaching at Hope for nearly 50 years, if that's right. This is the 50th, yeah. This is the 50th year, this is the big one. Like, when did that start? Like, can you give us a full rundown, I suppose, of when your career in music began? Yeah, well, the mathematical answer is 50 years ago, but <laughs> in, in, in reality, uh, there is a story. I came to, came to Hope, um, in fact, one of the founding colleges, Christ College, uh, in 1965. And um, when, I, when I finished, I had a certificate in education and uh, I went and worked as a teacher for a year. But by that time, I'd got the bug a bit to study music. And um, I worked for a teacher for about a year, but also did a part-time course at the Royal Northern College of Music. And um, the net result was uh, by early 1970, 1971, um, I was back in Liverpool doing a master's course at Liverpool University in Music. And I just called in at what was then Christ College and said, um, you know, where's, where's the music department these days? And I went and found everybody. And um, the next thing was I was teaching for three hours a week. <laughs> I've not looked back. So that was, that was 1971 and I've been there ever since. Wow, it's wow. crazy how it's changed, how you can, because like you can, obviously you got your like first job, like would you say that was your first teaching job then? Well, I was, I was 24 at the time. And um, if I tell you that there were four students in the final year studying music and nobody seemed bothered at the time, I mean, these days that would be catastrophic. But wow. there were four students doing music. They were all doing teacher training course. And um, uh, very nice, very accommodating. And um, I taught them for three hours a week. And funnily enough, this year, my 50th year, I'm also doing three hours a week. It's looking at your website, which you still have, and I believe one of your graduates helps you with. Um, yeah. And like, you look at the list of names on there and it's, well, there's so many. Like, what would you say has been the biggest names you've worked with? Or is there any like certain experiences you have with musicians as well? Well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't like to single people out particularly because at every stage um, in my career that, you know, sometimes um, young musicians of the same kind of generation as me have been, you know, really spectacular players and have really uh, moved things forward. I did have my first orchestral piece was conducted by Simon Rattle um, and I'm still in touch with Simon. He, he was a good mate uh, when he was in Liverpool um, and that, that was that was helpful. It looks you know, it, it's, it's a nice thing to have happened. And he was very, very, very good, I have to say as well. Um, but it doesn't work quite like that. I mean, I, I found that um, turning points are great in certain aspects. So for instance, somebody wins a competition, you know, piano competition or I don't know, X Factor or something, you know. Um, but there's also a way in which you just gradually accumulate experiences and things happen. And at the time you think that's interesting or 
I wish that hadn't happened or whatever, but it's all a learning process. And um, you, you kind of move on in stages rather than sudden turnarounds. And I think that's, a, that's the way my career has gone, really. Yeah, just jump from one thing to another. I feel like that's quite common. I obviously like speak to a lot of the students at Hope with music and some of the like concerts they get into or some of the gigs they do happen by accident, like just right place, right time. Has that ever happened to you? Like has something just come up and you haven't expected? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, think. Yeah, life isn't a straight line. I mean, that's that's that's, that's very obvious, isn't it? Um, and uh, I don't, um, I've been very fortunate. I mean, I've had uh, I've tended to work very closely with the orchestra in this city. A lot of composers, freelance composers, tend to uh, move around a bit. I've because I've been a head of department uh, and you know strongly um, working within Hope for a long time. It hasn't made sense for me to have a kind of uh, traveling international career not you know that might not be possible who knows um but the the upside of that is i've worked very closely with the the orchestra here in liverpool for a very long time uh you know my first first orchestral piece was 1980 and before that i've already been working with the with members of the orchestra um i know so many members of the orchestra now i work closely but i still work for the phil now mentoring uh young composers who win competitions uh, and I'm working, uh, you know, as a composer with them as well with the orchestra. So, um, you know, it's that's been a very huge part of my life. Yeah. Uh, I suppose if I was to, say, it won't. You can't sort of say there are um, things have happened, but relationships have been there, which have really helped to develop my career. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, like relationships with students as well. Would you say you've always had that, like, really good, you know, I guess connection with students with your interests in music and you know mentorship and things. Yeah, I've never had a problem. I mean, I get on very well with the students and uh, I've still got lots of um, requests on Facebook to talk to them and stuff. So there must have... I know, it always happens. Happen. And would you say, obviously, like, I know music itself has changed throughout different types of universities and things. Like, back from when you were a student, how much would you say it's changed overall, like, degree-wise, compared to the one you did? Uh, enormously. Um, when, I, when I first started teaching... Um, and it was a teacher training course, but there was a strong, you know, there were going to be music teachers. Um, it was a course that uh, probably was very similar to the course that the guys who were teaching it had done at their university. And the two main teachers had been at Cardiff University in the 1950s, I suppose. So the most modern music that they studied was, uh, we studied was Brahms, and he died in 1897. There was no popular music, there was no, no nothing else. It was very, very um, traditional. And um, I was, interesting enough, I was taken in uh, initially um, when I got my first full-time job there because of my work in uh, new music. So uh, they probably, you know, it was quite um, sort of brave in a way to appoint some hairy young 25-year-old who uh, was, you know, into, um, into a lot of the contemporary music of the day. Uh, I should tell you that I started as a pop musician um, hey. in the, well, in the period of Liverpool's great flourishing uh, in the 1960s, um, I had a Cavern membership card. I used to wow. go down to the lunchtime sessions at the Cavern, um, sometimes missing school to do that. Um, oh. <laughs> a band, uh, and if you want, I can send you the most horrific picture of me holding a homemade guitar. Oh, please. <laughs> I, I was I was playing uh, playing a lot and had aspirations to be a popular musician, 
Um, and then uh, something changed and I realised that it might be possible to study music more seriously. When confronted with the fact that I was leaving school, and I'd had a pretty unhappy time uh, at, at school because um, the things that I was good at, which were playing the guitar, electric guitar, um, painting, playing football, none of these were valued where I was. I went to a school that uh, wanted to play rugby and thought that football was a sissy's game, so that was no good. Um, art, the arts, popular culture were completely de rigueur. I think owning an electric guitar was a criminal offence in the eyes of people at school. So um, I came I came by accident, really, to an interview at Christ College because my mates were all applying to be teachers and they said there's this new uh, college opening up. So I, um, I came uh, to an interview and I'd applied to do English and Geography. And the then principal of Christ College said, but I see you play the guitar. And I started to kind of apologize. And he said, no, no, tell me more about it. And, you know, and I, said, I happened to mention that I had what's called perfect pitch. You know, I can hear a note and I know what it is. And he said, well, that's amazing. Why hasn't anybody developed that? And I said, well, don't know. So anyway, he said, well, when you come, why don't you try music for a bit? And uh, I did. And I ran for about the first uh, six weeks of my first year. I did three subjects and finally changed to music. Now, the, the extraordinary and tragic side of this story is that the guy who interviewed me was Father Louis Hanlon, who was killed six weeks after that interview. So this man came into my life, changed it, and was no more. You know, it's amazing, absolutely amazing. So um, I, I came in to study music, suddenly discovered myself and discovered what I could, I could actually do something that was, was, was kind of valid uh, in terms of the, the education system. Uh, and I just took off at that point. And I really, I, I, I just, I was on fire, really. Wow. My geography was dreadful as a concept. <laughs> I was very, very fortunate to pass the geography. I did absolutely nothing. I'm ashamed these days. And when I came back to teach at Christ College, the guys who had taught me geography were in the staff room and I used to skulk behind the pillars and everything, but they were, they were very, very kind to me. And they said, no, we understood what you were doing. We understood where, where you were going, mm. uh, which was very thoughtful of them. Uh, and when, when I made that change, uh, I actually sold my guitars that I had and I became interested in, in the wider world of music. I didn't kind of kiss goodbye to popular music, but I developed my skills in other ways as well. I'd, I'd played the clarinet a bit when I was at school in the orchestra. I was dreadful, but I started to pick that up a bit. Um, and I became very interested in, in the music of our own time, the classical music of our own time, which is where I've been located really mostly since there. Um, I still have, you know, broad sympathies with popular music and I brought popular music into the curriculum um, at a time that it was very uh, unusual to do that in the early 1990s at Hope. Um, and also we had one of the first electronic studios in any university, wow. which we built in uh, 1989. Um, that's currently uh, the radio station up at the other campus. Ah. Uh, that, the room on the corner there, the broadcasting, was, uh, that was my office. And it, the opposite side of that uh, was the recording studio. And we, we, we had state-of-the-art stuff, what was state-of-the-art in 1989, and we had students doing uh, electronic music um, in the early 90s, which again, I say, we got that into the curriculum. So I, I've always taken the view of trying to be fairly innovative in the curriculum. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I suspect, you know, that, that will carry on in music, that will happen. People are always uh, re-evaluating what it is that you 
could be doing, what you can be doing, how you react to the world around you. But uh, that's where that's where I've, I've I've gone really, and that's where the courses have developed. Mm. Um, and then uh, you know all kinds of things change, um, the, the structures change. You know we've brought in modules um, in what the mid nineties, um, and that that had a, a huge impact upon a subject which has such a breadth that it's rather hard to knock it into little cellular bits. Um, and, but nevertheless, you have to respond to the situation around you, and that's that's kind of what we. Um, and I was head of department till two thousand and twelve. I was going to say, like, I have hearing about the fact that the radio station used to be a recording studio, like for music. Me and Steve's minds are blown because mm. we just knew that was Hope Park. Because and, we and interestingly enough, that radio station before we went into lockdown was due to be the recording place for this podcast as well. <laughs> yeah, and, so. and it will. <laughs> So that's really that, interesting. The, 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 that room, the one that is the recording room, was my office. Wow. It's full circle. I had this fantastic view of um, everything that was going on. I knew who was going out with who and everything. <laughs> I could see two lots directions from there. The recording studio was actually a room on the opposite side of the the directly opposite side. Now, whether or not it's still there or whether it's been uh, subsumed into the mm. lecture theatre complex, I'm not sure, but if, when you come into that building, sorry, we're going all over the place here. <laughs> <laughs> the second second corridor on the left, not the first one, the second corridor on the yeah. left, you go right down there to the end, that was the recording studio there. Right. And that room, you'll be surprised to know, that's got a fantastic natural earth. We, the money we spent to get a non-buzzy mains in there, whether or not it's still, you know, still happened, but we spent quite a bit of money on that the effort like because my granddad was a musician and like a jazz musician and we were talking once about the effort you put into recording and you know the extra work you did and tapes and records and he I was showing him my iPod and he was like are you serious is this what you do now like you just click a button and it's it's true like I think it's nice to speak to someone who has not not saying you're ancient but he's been there do you know what I mean like, he's had that experience yeah no that's uh no I mean I, I do um I think uh, where we are now is a sort of sixth music department that I've worked in at Hope in the buildings. So, you know, I've been around most of the buildings at different times. Mm. Uh, some of them still exist, some of them don't. You know, the Green Lane building, mm. uh, amazingly, that was the music department uh, oh, initially. The one, the one part of the campus that is close to residential mm. was music. All the practice rooms faced those houses. I, I, that as, as a piece of architectural design, it couldn't have been a worse mistake. <laughs> Uh, we, we moved out of there fairly quickly and then we went over the road to what is now the convent um mm. Road. that was called the benedict dance center wow it's... so if you want your history i'm the fella i was gonna say i feel like i've got a mini but like two topics in one which is great my my next question for you actually was obviously with lecturers at hope being researchers is there anything i know it's your 50th year but is there anything you're working on at the moment or like that contrasts a lot from where you started obviously wanting to go into popular music well, yeah, I mean, ever since I've been in what I'll call uh, the academic world, um, I've been uh, a classical contemporary composer and I haven't stopped doing that at all. Um, I continued to turn pieces out when I was head of department um, because that was the main thing I did. So I managed to marry the two reasonably well. Um, and I'm, I'm, I've had a big orchestral piece done um, two years ago, three years ago now, actually. Um, the local film um, and then uh, I had a piece um, done two years ago um, I had a piece done in Manchester with Saffron which was filmed 
and I'm working currently working on two pieces. Um, found it a bit of a hard struggle at first in lockdown to concentrate on, oh, yeah. but I've got back into into it. And I'm writing a piece for cello and orchestra, and I'm writing a small chamber piece um, for a concert in what I think will be in June in the Angel Field Festival. Yes, yeah. Uh, and um, I'm provisionally calling that in hope. In hope. Oh, that's lovely. That. With the um, you know, with with your history in in music, and you know, you've mentioned there how much it's changed throughout time, and how people's roles have changed, and I guess even how it's viewed as an academic subject has changed over time as well. Over time, has there been, or even now, any big misconceptions that really sort of you find keep coming up around music as an academic subject? Yeah, I mean, um, what what. What happens a lot if you meet people at parties or whatever and they say well what do you do and I say well I'm, <clears throat> I'm a musician the first thing they say is what do you play I'm uh, very familiar with that and I don't don't overreact at all mm. uh, it's possible to be a musician uh, who doesn't play mm. uh, most people come into music because they play something um, and I think but I think it's worth remembering uh, that you don't necessarily have to play and there are other things that you don't necessarily have to have done in order mm. to, be, to become a musician. Now I think there are certain areas of the academic music curriculum in which it's necessary to read music uh, mm. but there are also areas there are some ways of studying music that don't involve reading music and one needs to remember that that's possible. It does mean it's quite restricting in terms of what you then go on to do if you want to use your music degree to do things that are musical because the reading of music is a fundamental skill. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, it's quite possible to to be good. And there are people out there much richer than any of us uh, who don't need music and have done done extremely well as musicians. So I think we have to remember that uh, whilst it's a core skill, it's not a it, it's not a skill that prevents you from studying music mm -hmm. in other ways or, or practicing music in other ways. So I, whilst I did play uh, the guitar, the saxophone, clarinet very badly um, and an even worse uh, keyboard, the the keyboard you see behind me is purely functional to help me when I'm composing. Uh, I'm now, for those last 40 years of my career, I've been conducting and composing. They're both things that uh, the conducting gives me the opportunity to, to be involved in performance. Um, and uh, you don't play any rock notes when you're conducting, so it's quite nice. Uh, and, um, composing, you get a, a, a slower run at something, and that I think suited my character a bit. I, you know, I, I prefer to spend a lot of time thinking about something, preparing it, and then handing it on to somebody else to work with, rather than the kind of um, very edgy world of always having to be uh, really, really on your top, not to play brilliantly and all the rest of it. Um, that suits me better to be like that. Uh, and I enjoyed the conducting I do. I've done, I ran the choir at Hope for many years and we did all sorts of really big works. We did Beethoven 9 twice. Uh, we've done really big concerts, Bach's Christmas Oratorio. You know, uh, the list is pretty long. And we had a choir of getting up for 100 at uh, one stage. So, um, you know, we, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, being able to direct musical performance in that way. I studied uh, conducting at the Royal Northern College. That was what I did. And at one stage, I thought that's what I was going to go into. But the, the composition really is a thing that started to happen. And mm. I, that's where I felt better. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, these next two questions, I feel, go quite well hand in hand. So I'll sort of ask them together. You know, for someone who's thinking about going into a music career or studying music as an academic subject, is there any sort of 
particular piece of research that you recommend and more generally you know what advice would you give someone now in today's world and you know covid and lockdown aside um who is preparing to go into a career or an academic field of music i think it's very important um to uh equip yourself with an understanding of what has happened in music now music's one of these subjects that uh lives with its past rather more than some subjects um for instance um i used to talk a lot and do a lot of work with painting students at one stage and um th they were less concerned with with his historical sides at the time in terms of their practice i'm sure all of that is changing as well but um in music we've always been very very conscious of of our musical past so when you're learning to play an instrument you're learning to play pieces from very often from the past um whether it's the past is yesterday or whether the past is 200 years ago mm. I do think it's still very important to to understand that 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 body of work that sits behind you as a musician, and um, I think that the best kind of inverted commas research that one can do is to keep listening and finding out and understanding all the musical challenges that people have faced over many centuries and how they've responded to them in different ways. So um, we're very fortunate in this country. We have a free uh, radio station called Radio Three. Um, which, uh, if you're interested in classical music, it can provide you with unexpected pleasures. You know, you, you just put it on and it plays. It's not like having Spotify where you're actually going to find something and you know mm -hmm. what you're looking for. This is, this is like just going to a party and meeting people at random. Uh, and I still love listening to, to Radio 3. I also listen these days to France Musique, which is very good. Uh, and you can get it, on your, get it on your phone. I mean, such is life now. You, you could listen to it as much as I can. I don't have to be in France to listen to it. Um, and that they have wonderful, uh, you know, music on stream all the time. Um, and I, I've always pushed with my students the necessity to understand and know um, the music of the past. Now, whether you're interested in popular music, that's that's just as critical. Uh, interest in folk music, it's critical. Uh, whether you're interested in classical music, it's critical. It's about the music. Uh, although you can be a creator, you can be a doer, you can be something looking forward. You're always learning from what happened before. Before what what's in the rearview mirror. So um, I do think it's very important uh, to develop that. So my my advice would always be to listen and to keep learning from from what others have done and just to quickly jump ahead because the tie in i guess what we're taking from that is a success a successful music student is someone who can listen is willing to listen is willing to constantly evolve and never be sort of set in their current knowledge of music would you say that's a fair statement i think that's absolutely essential uh, open-mindedness uh, being ready, um, the number of students that I've had uh, that, who've done very, very well have said, when, when I come in, came in, I thought this was what I wanted to be. I was going to be this. My views, my approach, everything I do has changed dramatically since I've been here. I found so many new things. Um, and that's the right way to be. Fantastic. And you mentioned there your experiences with, with students. I hope we know that you've worked with the fantastic voices of hope. Uh, in the past. Can you just tell us a little bit more about who are the Voices of Hope? Right, well, um, the story behind this is that the, the Vice-Chancellor, when he was a young man in South Africa, he heard the King's Singers, and they made a huge impact on him. The King's Singers are a six-part male uh, a cappella vocal group, 
and they do uh, a huge range of, of material from popular arrangements through to um, serious classical work. And he wanted to have something similar at Hope. So um, it, that start, this started to uh, take on as an idea. Um, and uh, there were certain limitations, obviously. We don't have uh, six strong male singers in any one. You're any, you know, it would be very difficult to recreate something like that. Um, I was offered the opportunity uh, in 2013 to take on the Voices of Hope. At the point I took it on, it was a small choir, really. Mm. So I made the decision to make it three girls, three boys, uh, and um, we went from there. And it so happened that the, the um, group that I got together had uh, really six very promising singers in it. Uh, and we just, the first few weeks were a struggle. You know, uh, but then it suddenly clicked. Something suddenly took off, and um, I've always, I'd always wanted to to run an a cappella group. When I was a pop musician, I used to love the Beach Boys, and I used to try and teach everybody else in the band how to sing the harmonies. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I really uh, that, that was something. so. Um, it was a great thrill for me to have that opportunity, and we we must have spent three or four hours a week just polishing up what they were doing, and they went off and rehearsed as well. Um, and that group really took off and made it made the case really for the fact that it is possible for six young people to, to really sing very well in an a cappella group. Um, I wrote the arrangements for them because a lot of the arrangements that are out there are not really suitable. And it's quite it's the good thing is you can write it for the voices that you've got. So you, you're thinking about the people themselves. So that the first group um, really got to the stage where they could have gone professional, to be quite honest with you. Wow. Um, and we did some tours of France and um, sang at the House of Lords, been, you know, all around the place. Wow. And it was it was really, really good. Now, the challenge then was for the groups that followed. And actually, uh, that was actually pretty successful. I was having got that very strong model there. People knew what they had to do uh, and they knew what um, what to expect in terms of the repertoire. And we were able to uh, keep one or two people the same and then move on a bit and and then, um, you know, we've been very fortunate, we've been able to keep it going. Um, I'm packing it in now because um, I'm, you know, I've just, I won't tell you how old I am, but you'll probably work it out. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm yeah. way too old to be in university. People say to me, you're not still working, are you? Uh, the answer is, <laughs> it's an interesting point. I mean, I've never regarded this, uh, what I've been doing, as a job. Mm. It's, it's a way of life. Uh, my dad had a job. He left the house at nine o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock, seven o'clock in the morning, and he came home at night and he did something he hated. Uh, mm. This is a way of life. And so I don't see it as, inverted commas, a job at all. Uh, but you get paid more for doing it sometimes than you mm. do at others. That's inevitable. But uh, so um, I've really, really enjoyed that. But the practicalities are that I don't uh, envisage being able to. Uh, I think the, the, the last 18 months has really made a decision anyway for us. But, mm. Mm, yes. but I do hope that Hope will continue to run the Voice of Hope somehow. Yeah. Uh, and keep with that model of six singers because it works It works really, really well. It's portable, you know. Mm. Oh, they're amazing. I've, um, if anyone's listening, if you go on the Creative Compass Instagram and you scroll down, there's quite a few videos. I am Voices of Hope's biggest fan. I'm at the front row of everything. Honestly, it's a cappella music is something I just, I can't get enough of and I get chills. But yeah, they're fantastic. I would definitely say any students looking to apply for music, like have a little look at Voices of Hope and what they, what they do. And they've got their own Instagram and yeah, they're very on board with it.
It, it certainly sounds to me like, um, you know, coming to this point in the conversation that um, students who have come to, to Hope or have, have um, sort of, who you've experienced working with throughout your academic career, they can expect, you know, to have their um, expectations challenged. They can expect to be challenged themselves. They need to um, really develop an open-mindedness even beyond what they may already come into. And they also have absolutely fantastic experiences sort of even outside of the curriculum of teaching. So I guess my question is from there, you know, well, what can that give a student once the degree is over? Where, where can all those experiences and all those challenges, where, where can it take them once they're done? That's, a, that's an interesting question that uh, the answer to it changes probably fairly regularly. It's changed again in the last year. Mm. Uh, you know, there's been, there are many, many challenges now for young people coming through in the arts, um, partly through um, the, uh, the COVID issue partly through the Brexit issue that there are going to be big challenges um, the world of music is a very different place than it was uh, two years ago uh, but things evolve I mean you know there have been periods in history where similar things have happened um, I remember Liverpool in the 1980s coming through into the 1990s it was a very barren place for classical music um, because uh, the funding was terrible uh, and the orchestra struggled, did very little contemporary music. Um, but it's, you know, it, that tide went out and another one came in, you know. So um, I do think that um, we have a kind of resilience. Um, and I think if the students develop the qualities that we've been talking about in terms of open-mindedness, uh, they're ready, they'll be ready to see the opportunities as they come instead of thinking, trying to fit themselves, see themselves as something that needs to go there. If, yeah. if, you're, if you're savvy, you'll, you'll see, you, you know, what I do think that hope has offered, it, within the context you describe of, you know, the challenge and all that, mm -hmm. uh, it's a very warm place, and I don't mean that temperature-wise. It's <laughs> the, people, the people at hope have always been, uh, I've always found them very very friendly, accommodating, uh, loveliest people to work with. Um, people used to comment about, about the character of the place mm. being from outside. Um, and it starts with, you know, everybody. Uh, there are no kind of strata or layers of people. But you have to say that, you know, from the moment they get to the security lodge, you know, the people there are extremely helpful and, and always have to. Uh, and, you know, it, it works right through the organisation. And I think whatever has bred that, it, it works really, really well. It's been there almost since the day I started, uh, since the day I came as a student. I think, I think what's really interesting about what you're saying there is, um, you know, hope gives you this personalized experience that really allows you to discover the person that maybe you didn't realize you wanted to be, or you knew you wanted to be, but didn't have the opportunity to. And certainly, you know, in my experience in sort of the early, 2010s when I was applying to university was I too sort of felt like I needed to apply for an academic subject that I've been studying previously whether I was good at it or not whether I enjoyed it or not that's certainly how I felt I needed to uh to sort of the route I needed to go down and it wasn't until I started exploring options a little bit more and originally I'd applied for English language that I discovered um what would be my course of early childhood and although that's not as such a creative subject certainly it's um 
it's not an academic field that previously I've been exposed to. And certainly it was one that I was then able to, to, to thrive in later on. And so I think a lot of that, just to, to highlight what you're saying there, is definitely caused by the ethos of, of hope and how it sort of pushes you to be the person that's, you know, inside but hasn't had the, the chance to come out yet, maybe. Yeah, I um, I always used to run the uh, talks. I used to all the, I did all the talking at the open days and all that mm. stuff when I was at the department. And coming to Hope uh, and finding myself, finding something that I could do at 18 was perfectly possible. There's so much emphasis upon that gateway of getting good A-levels and all the rest of it. But I was saying, look, look, guys, if you don't do particularly well at A-level, but you like what you're hearing from me, come and talk to us, you know, mm. let's see if we can do for you, because with my own personal experience behind this, uh, I never feel that one can be judgmental about on anybody. Uh, an A-level result is a snapshot of a particular day or time in your life. It doesn't mean that's what you're going to be like. I failed my um, 11 plus, by the way, as well. well I got uh, a new grade and I felt like I'd failed my life. <laughs> but I didn't. It's crazy. Isn't I, it? I failed. I failed my eleven plus on exactly the same day, and it probably in exactly the same uh, examination room as Willie Russell. Uh, and we both uh, we we both muse on this. We did our we did our um, eleven pluses on the same day. We both failed. So he's done much better than me. But you know, it's, it, it it goes to show, doesn't it? Mm. I don't know about you, Steve, but I could sit here and talk all day to Steve music. Honestly, I don't want to wrap this up. Like. I think there's, um, what's, what's great about this podcast is giving um, me, selfishly, the opportunity to speak to people in academic fields that I've got no expertise on. And, you know, that's fair enough. You can listen to um, things about music or different academic fields. But, but when someone is sort of passionate about the subject and, like you say, doesn't see it as a job but as a way of life, it really sort of hits differently and it really sort of adds a lot of um sort of emotional weight in a way to the conversation and makes it far more interesting keeping them in like the community theme um but we you've kind of like covered most of it, obviously talking about the hoop community and how you feel so welcome but the question is like what makes a human of hope and like what you feel is you know characteristics of someone who like who is at hope um what would you say to that i think i mean i think there are the hope I would say, looking back across the X number of years, you know, going back to 1965 when I started as a student, there's always been a kind of friendly and welcoming attitude. Um, I've been in universities, uh, both as a student and uh, as um, a visiting external examiner. I've always felt um, a very kind of supportive community, both uh, as a colleague with members of staff, uh, with students, um, Early on, uh, I had a, one of my first big London debuts, um, having a piece played at uh, the Purcell Room uh, on the South Bank. A whole pile of the, the third-year students turned up. They wow. came on the train, you know. Um, now, you know, we, we live in different times now, but that, that's symptomatic mm. of the kind of uh, place. Um, and a very supportive kind of environment. I hope, hope, hope retains that. I mean... Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not kind of, um, it's not ingrained in the walls or something, it's it's ingrained in the people. It's always been uh, a strong characteristic of hope and, and the people who come there. Um, mm -hmm. And people, you know, people who come in to examine, they always make that observation. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've, we've had, had many, many comments over the years. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think it happens by accident. I mean, for instance, when we, um, I was very much involved in the development of the creative campus and the mm -hmm. designing, you know, renovation of the buildings and all that um things like just um 
the the staff were recruited from the local community and that, mm. that was a brilliant idea uh, you know the, the the support staff were recruited from the local community a, a strong idea because it gave that building a sense of presence within the local community as well yeah. uh, and um, i think that was uh, that was very smooth and, and we led the way a little bit the local film moved their rehearsal room to that area mm. i'm sure with with you know a little bit of the evidence of the success that we had achieved by moving down to what they called at the time Everton and you know, as an Everton season ticket holder I was delighted but it's geographically oh, nice. rather confusing we used to get students turning up at Goodison Park before, <laughs> look, look, looking for the university so um, you'll notice that the title Hope at Everton was lost a long time ago mm. because it just was completely misleading we're about 20 yards into the footprint of uh, the Everton area which mm. is why it was called that. I just wanted to ask a fairly somewhat obvious question actually um, because you've mentioned about how music was um, based on Hope Park campus and you know where the location was and moving about and then the development of the Creator campus. I just wanted to sort of get a snapshot of how significant you feel it was that the creative campus not just for music for all the creative subjects was created how significant in regards to um, the development of those creative curriculums was that? Well uh, yeah, we, we'd outgrown our size at Hope Park mm. um, and the then um, Rector and Chief Executive uh, could see that and mm. he thought that we should have a city centre presence. He thought that, um, you know, it's all very well being out in Chilwell, which is very nice, but he thought that the university should have a, a city centre presence, very much like the other two universities have. And so that was, I think that was a very smart move. Um, and I was very much involved in looking at various places where that could happen. That was good. We got we got the site for a pound, as you probably know, yeah. and um, we we then uh, set about developing it. And um, everybody, the, the good thing was all the heads, um, the head of art, head of music, me, uh, we were all involved in meetings. Now we were kept, you know, I wouldn't say we. Uh, led the way but we were kept abreast all the time in what was going on we got to know the fundraisers we got to know the architects designers all the rest of it and I, I that was a really interesting part of my career was watching that that development and then when it was fixed you know the um, the then uh, pro vice chancellor whose name was Dr Elford Dr John Elford he called me in and he said right your job now uh, is to make this place known in the city centre um, for music that was your job and that was great that was a really good for me that was a great thing so it started the cornerstone festival and we got very much involved in the the local area um, and we uh, got involved with the development of the phil's education wing at the in harmony project we did so i think that stimulated uh, the role of music at hope in getting it very much embedded into the local uh, the city center and the local community which is one of the, the, the city is one of the great resources of hope. It's, it's in Liverpool. With, Liverpool's got fantastic, uh, you know, world cultural history. And um, on all fronts, you know, whether if you're a historian, it, it's there. Uh, music, obviously, uh, fine art, seven galleries or more. Yeah. You know, it's, it's Liverpool, uh, hope sits in Liverpool. And I think that's important to remember. Mm. Wow, I feel like we've just gone, we've gone down so many different routes, but it's been really, really good, like, really, really Fascinating. Enjoyed. So Stephen, that, that brings us to the end of our conversation, and certainly for me, 
it's been absolutely fascinating. Mel, I know you've been far more involved in, in music throughout your academic sort of journey than I, but even for someone from this perspective, it's been absolutely fascinating and it is a shame that we, we have to call it to an end there. So Stephen, thank you so much for, for your um, time today. Yeah. It's been a great pleasure talking to you and I, I hope that uh, hope will continue to flourish. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you very much for your time.